You're listening to City Church. You guys being blessed by this journey through some Old Testament narrative over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, God encouraging you through it. I hope so. Um, today we're going to start in Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. Uh, if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible, that's great. If not, that's okay. Uh, you can follow along the screen. Ruth chapter 4 is on page 224. <laughs> Ruth chapter 4. Here we go. I'm going to just uh, read this passage and uh, we'll dive in today. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. Who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Then the women said to Naomi, read again, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Uh, title of today's sermon, The Promise of Grace. The Promise of Grace. You can write that down. You can't. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us personally today. Thank you, Father, for the chance to read your word and for the chance to see the stories of uh, the Old Testament, not just as a great historical narrative, but actually revealing who you are, God, and more specifically also revealing for us who we are. God, we open up our hearts to you, and I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would speak profoundly and specifically to each of us today. We welcome your presence, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. All right, last couple of weeks to catch you up if you haven't been here really quickly. There's been a kind of a journey we started on beginning with Abraham, right? If you remember this, we started in Genesis chapter 22. We looked at the agreement that God made with Abraham. We talked about how God has made different sacred agreements with different people throughout history, right? And so he made an agreement with Adam, a covenant with Adam. And this covenant was based upon works. And then there was an agreement within the Trinity, right? The covenant of redemption. And that agreement was to redeem humanity through the sacrifice of God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And then there was the agreement that God made with Abraham. And it was an agreement to treat Abraham with unmerited favor, right? To give him grace. And so we see the story unfold, and Abraham believes God. And so he even goes to the point of sacrificing his son, which of course God stops him, says, that's not my heart, that's not my will, and God provides. And he reveals that God is the one who provides. That's the essence of the covenant, right? That God provides for us, that his grace is unmerited because of his sacrifice for us. And then we see that Isaac has two kids, right? Harry, Esau, and liar Jacob. You remember this? We looked at it last week, and uh, some of you are still mourning me, you know, when I mentioned about the Harry kids. It's going to be fine. It's all right. But, uh, but, you know, they have two kids, and of course, Jacob rises up and becomes the one that really leads the family. He steals the blessing, and the whole thing happens. Jacob then has an encounter with God where he experiences the power of God, and he grabs a hold of God and says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And we see in this, this process of grace, right? Where God is looking to get your heart to a place where you are humbly audacious, right? Where you are at the intersection of brokenness and confidence. Where you don't rely on self at all, but you are so audaciously committed to the truth of God's goodness, right? You remember this? And so it's this place of humble audacity that is the place where the blessing is released. Remember it says, and there he blessed him. The blessing of grace is released when we approach God with humble audacity. Well, a lot happens, and the shadows and the colors and the techniques of God to unpack his story 
are beautiful, right? Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob's changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. The 12 sons moved to Egypt because of a famine. The Pharaoh oppresses the Israelites in Egypt. They explode and by Moses. They walk across the wilderness. Joshua leads them in. And then Joshua sees the nation of Israel established in the promised land. Judges are put over the people of Israel to oversee them, to rule them, and to lead. And then later in Israel's history, Israel cries out for a king. God gives them a king named Saul. He ends up disobeying the Lord. And then God raises up David out of obscurity to become the greatest king in Israel's history and usher in the golden age of Israel, right? And so wealth, power, prestige, fame, all comes with David and then David's son Solomon and on and on from there. Now we see in the story of God's interaction with his people, we see this little pause, this little moment in between. Okay? And so tucked in between the great miracles of Egypt and the sea being parted, and then on the other side, the great golden pillars and victory of the, tab- the, te- the, the uh, temple being established and David ruling and everything else. Right in between those, we have this little story of a woman named Ruth. So about a year ago now, I was, uh, I was at a friend's house. I won't tell you who. James Hunter. And uh, I was at his house, and they were watching some TV. Of course, I don't really watch TV very often because, um, you know, I'm a man of God. You know, things like that. But, uh, but I was watching a little – they were watching TV, and I got there, and the TV was on. And uh, I just sat down to you know, watch, and, uh, and I said, well, you know, what are you guys watching? And I, I watched, and, you know, I'm watching this show that they're watching, and it's a bunch of dudes walking around with long beards and camouflage and shotguns. And I'm like, I'm like, what the heck is this show? You know, I'm, like, Look, I'm a little out of loop. Who's over here? I'm over here praying, all right? So I'm, I'm out of the loop. And so um, I'm like, you know, what's going on? And they said, oh, this is, this is Doc Dynasty, right? This is Doc Dynasty. So five minutes in the show, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking to myself, why would anyone watch this show? Like, this is the most ridiculous show in the world. Ten minutes in, I'm thinking to myself, I gotta get an episode for my kids to watch. They would actually watch this. <laughs> and 15 minutes into the show, I'm asking Jimmy, hey, you think I can borrow season one, man? Because I know you have season one. You think I can borrow us? I'm on season three now. You know, but there's something, there's something amazing. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. There's something amazing about this reality TV show. I know you have your favorite show. It might be Survivor, it might be blah, 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 but how many of you are, you know, watch a reality TV show? Liars, there's far more than that. Oh, you're so ashamed of yourself. You want to raise your hand. Yet, many of us watch these reality TV shows and they are blowing up. I mean, they are like, you know, making crazy, crazy money. These reality TV shows. And, you know, psychologists say that the reason is that these reality TV shows blur the lines between the celebrity and the common man. And so, you know, when the common man watches the celebrity eat cereal, and when the celebrity exposes the basics about themselves, something happens in the interim where we're fascinated by it, and it makes the common man feel a little bit more like a celebrity, and it makes the celebrity feel a little bit more like a common man. It just kind of blurs the lines. Well, the book of Ruth, which we're going to talk about today, the book of Ruth is, uh, is that story. It's the, maybe the first, you know, um, special interest, first uh, reality TV show. It's super simple. It doesn't seem like it fits in the canon of Scripture for a lot of reasons. There's no big miracles. There's no big kings getting appointed. There's no crossing the Red Sea. There's no super prophecies like Ezekiel or Jeremiah. There's none of that. It's just a story about a lady. So I'm going to tell you the story. Because what we found over the last couple of weeks is that uh, these stories are not randomly placed in here. And these stories are not here just so that we know some history. These stories are so that you can see yourself. And God wants to show you yourself today. 
And so uh, the story begins with a famine in Israel. And the, there's a couple in Bethlehem that uh, flee Israel because they don't have enough food. And so the wife's name is Naomi. The husband's name, I'm probably butchering the uh, pronunciation, but I think it's Elimelech or Elimelech or something like that. So anyways, um, him and his wife leave Israel and travel to Moab. Now they have two sons with them, okay? So there are two sons and then go to Moab. Moab. Now, Moab is not exactly the best place to travel if you're an Israelite at this time. The Moabites were polytheistic. They worshipped many gods and they were known for human sacrifice. They were kind of a rough crowd. The Israelites had been told, do not intermarry with the Moabites. And yet, these people leave their home of Israel and go to Moab really out of necessity because they don't have any food. And so they're, they're desperate and they go to Moab. And so during that time, the two sons marry Moabite women, okay? The two sons marry Moabite women, and then really in a series of events, the father, a little like, dies, and then the two sons die. And so in a short amount of time, about a ton of 10 years, Naomi, the, the mom, is now elderly, and she finds herself with two daughter-in-laws and no husband and no sons. And so she decides she's going to go back to Israel. The famine is over, and she tells her Moabite daughters, why don't you stay in Moab? This is where you're from. This is where your, your religion is. This is where your traditions are. Stay in Moab, and I'm going back to my homeland in Israel. And there's an interaction between the second Moabite daughter named Ruth and Naomi. And here's what the, the Ruth says to Naomi when she asks her to go back to Moab. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. So she's pretty committed. She says, Yeah, I know I'm not from Israel. I know that's not my religion, not my people, but I am committed to you. And maybe it was because Naomi was an elderly lady and she cared for her, didn't want to see her on her own. Or maybe it was because God had just simply put on her heart, broken into her heart and said, you're supposed to do this. But either way, Ruth's not going anywhere. So look what happens next. So the two of them went and on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women and the women said, is this Naomi? And she said, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, by the way. That's what her name means. But call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So obviously, Naomi feels that the things that have happened to her have been given to her by God, and God is against her, and God is bitter towards her. Now, if I was a detective, which I'm not, I would call that, detectives have a phrase for that. They call it circumstantial evidence. Okay? Circumstantial evidence is evidence that infers a particular conclusion. Alright? So in other words, you know, Sean's fingerprints are on the door where the, the painting was stolen. And so we infer that Sean must have been the one that broke in and stole the painting. But he actually went there yesterday and just, uh, you know, was there to view the painting, not to steal it. And so that's how his fingerprints got on the doorknob. But the circumstantial evidence could lead us to believe that uh, he, in fact, is the one that stole it. Now, circumstantial evidence by nature means that there's more than one answer to the evidence, right? There's more than one possible solution. So uh, I just wanted to illustrate this for you, and I thought a good illustration would be Adventures in Odyssey. Come on, can I hear an amen? Yeah. All, right, all right, so maybe you know all the school families like, yeah! Anyway, um, so yeah, maybe you don't even know what that is. I didn't know what it was until a while ago. So in the Kendrick family, if you go to a long car,
car ride. My kids want me to tell them stories. And so I'm pretty good, you know, story maker, upper. And so I'm telling stories about all different kinds of things. I got like 500 stories I can pull out. But after a while, it's like, oh, I don't want to tell any more stories. And so uh, that's when I look at my wife, and she very graciously puts on Adventures in Odyssey. Adventures in Odyssey is a Christian program with uh, stories that have like good principles, good truths, right? And so the other day, we're, uh, we're driving in the car, and um, I have this tendency where I just can't multitask like my beautiful wife can. And so when that Adventures in Odyssey is on, she'll try to ask me a question like, we're going to have for dinner. And I'm like, well, I'm, um, I was listening to Adventures in Odyssey. What were you saying? But can, can you wait until it's over? Because I just got to find out what happens. You know? And so I kind of get sucked in. You know, and I kind of get sucked into the adventure. And so anyways, this particular adventure, Mr. Whittaker was, uh, he owns a store, all right? And so Mr. Whittaker owns a store. He's got two employees. And one is a male and one is a female. And so it turns out that some of the paperwork for the finances of the store comes to light. And the female employee finds out that she has, in fact, been getting paid less than the male employee for the same job. And of course, she's a little offended by this. She's a little confused by this. And after talking with a few people, she comes to the conclusion that Mr. Whitaker is a sexist and that he is discriminating against her because she's a woman, right? And so she's pretty enraged about this and she quits the job. And it's just heartbreaking. You know, we're all like, no, don't quit. It must be a mistake. And so, and so she quits the job and she leaves. Come to find out at the end of the episode, because they always have a resolution. Praise God. At the end of the episode, what happens is she finds out that Mr. Whitaker had not, in fact, been paying her less, but he had made an agreement with her mom when she first took the job. See, this girl was a high school student, had no dad. Her mom didn't make enough money, and she wanted to go to college, but didn't have any money to go to college. And so Mr. Whitaker all along had been putting a portion of her check away for a trust fund so that when she went to college, she could go and have no dad. And so all along, Mr. Whitaker had been seeking to bless her, but from her perspective, the circumstantial evidence led her to believe that he was persecuting her. See, Naomi, we don't know why your husband died. And we don't know why your sons died. Maybe they, you know, bring too many five guys burned in the pride to clog all their arteries. You know? Or maybe, maybe, uh, all the health food people are like, yeah, that was probably it, you know? Uh, maybe, maybe they had a crazy neighbor who poisoned their well, you know? Maybe that's what went down. And so, so it wasn't there, maybe it wasn't just an act, maybe it was something natural, like, you know, an evil person actually made them die, or maybe it was their own irresponsibility that led to an early death. We don't know the specifics of it, but we do know. And in the end, God is trying to get Naomi's attention and say, hey, 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 The circumstantial evidence that you're looking at, you are drawing a false conclusion. And I wonder if you're sitting here this morning and some of your perspectives about God, your perspective about how he feels about you, are drawn off of circumstantial evidence that have led you to a false conclusion. Maybe you're thinking things about God that you just have decided he did to you when maybe he didn't do it at all. Maybe the whole time he had his arms stretched out and he was trying to bless you and trying to heal you and trying to restore you. So the story goes on. The story goes on and Ruth starts working. Remember, Ruth is the Moabite pagan woman who comes to Israel with Naomi. She starts getting a job and she's trying to provide for Naomi, right? And so she's getting this job and she's, you know, picking up the extra barley that's left behind by the reapers when they clean their fields out, right? And so she ends up in this one particular field where the guy's very nice to her. His name is Boaz. Somebody say Boaz. Boaz. 
Boaz, thank you, this made me feel better about things. So he, he, his name's Boaz, and, and uh, in the Hebrew tradition, uh, there's something that's known as what's uh, called a kinsman redeemer. Now, in Hebrew tradition, every Hebrew man was given property, okay? And they were given that property forever, all right? And so that property belonged to their family as an inheritance for generations. Now, if a family member died and there was no one to pass the property onto, then it was lost and that person's name was wiped from the, from the list forever. There was no way to restore or recover. So they came up with uh, a plan called a kinsman redeemer. What that meant is if the husband died, the wife could remarry a relative of that family and the relative could marry her, have kids with her, and those kids wouldn't represent the actual dad. They would represent the deceased man who died without a kid. Okay, And so what she finds out in the midst of the story is that Boaz is actually a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's father, excuse me, Naomi's husband, and that if Ruth were to marry him, he could serve as a kinsman redeemer, and the line of Elimelech could be restored, and the inheritance of Elimelech could continue on. This is pretty exciting news. And so um, what's in it for Ruth and Naomi? Everything. They become wealthy. They are covered. They're protected by Boaz. They receive the entire law. It all flows through them if Boaz agrees. Well, what's in it for Boaz to marry a white woman? Well, it'd be an act of extreme grace, an act of love for his relative, really. And so we see in the story that Naomi and Ruth hatch a plot. Maybe you've heard it, you've read the story before, but I want to unpack it for you very simply. Naomi and Ruth decide to dress Ruth up in her nicest clothes, put some perfume on, and put her down at the feet of Boaz as he's sleeping. And so Boaz, you know, is sleeping, and Ruth sneaks into where he is and lays down at his feet around midnight. Now, this is kind of awkward, right? I mean, you know, it would be a little strange to wake up as a man and be like, there's a woman laying at my feet, right? And so you would be like... That's exactly what I've been praying for, actually. That's um, <laughs> a whole other problem. And so, um, and so what happens is he wakes up and she says something that's a little bit scandalous, but also really very glorious. She's both humble and audacious, just like we saw in Jacob, right? That he was humble. I will not let you go until you bless me. I need your blessing, but also audacious. I'm not going to let go. This humility and this audacity that continues to unlock the blessing of God. And so we see Ruth now sitting at Boaz's feet, and she says to him, spread your wings over your servant, for you are my redeemer. Wow, man, that's kind of getting a little warm in here. Now, that's pretty poetic, right? But that's pretty like, you know, that's, you know, anyway. So, um, so obviously she's gutsy, she's humble, spread your wings over me right now, you know? And so he's like, what? You know, and so she's asking him, will you marry me? It's a humble, audacious request for a blessing, right? Would you please redeem me for you are a redeemer? Now, Boaz's response, if you know the story, you read the story. I'm skipping some of the details, but really you see a little bit of a love story kind of unpacking between Ruth and Boaz over the passages. So you see that there's this, this connection already, and now she makes this appeal to him, which of course is bold, and, and, and his response lacks a little bit of the Cinderella story, you know? His response is just not exactly what you're hoping for. He says, uh, well, I would, but um, you see, the way that the law goes, you have to marry the first closest relative, and there's actually one guy ahead of me. So he has to deny his rights before I could actually follow through and marry you. You know, bummer. <laughs> it's like, do you ever notice that your journey with God is never a straight line? 
It's never a straight line. You just turn somebody here and say, it ain't a straight line. Go ahead and tell them. It ain't a straight line. It's not a straight line. We see this again and again and again in Scripture. We see it in Abraham's life. We see it in Jacob's life. And here again, we see it in Ruth's life. And just as everything's supposed to be really good, and it's all worked out, it's all for the best in the end, and we're right to the finish line, and now there's this issue. And again in Scripture, we see this pattern that things just don't seem to work out the way we wish they exactly would. Years ago, we, uh, we, I was part of the traveling mission. You guys know this. Before we launched the church, we were always consistently on the road, traveling, preaching, playing music. And um, we found ourselves frequently in upstate New York. And, uh, and we were passionate about all the Northeast, and so we ended up being in upstate New York a lot. And, and uh, one of the routes that we found ourselves, for whatever reason, consistently traveling upon was Route 73 in Essex County. I don't know if you ever heard of that route, probably not, because it's not the one you really want to go on. It dumps out on a major highway, but Route 73 kind of snakes all through the Adirondack Mountains, okay? And it's just, it's a crazy route. I mean, it kind of meanders to and fro, it goes up and down, back and forth, and it kind of snakes all its way through the uh, the Adirondack Mountains and around rivers and over lakes. I actually grabbed a picture of Route 73. There it is. Route 73. Now, it, obviously, it's a little crooked. I mean, if you just went straight down, it seemed like it would be a whole lot faster, you know? But, but as you can see, even those little bumps in the road, though they look like not a big deal from whatever 50,000 feet we are, but if you were if you were there, that little turn is like another massive up, another massive down, back around, back and forth. And, you know, I think that very often our lives look like Route 73s. And for some of us, we think, God, I followed you, and now I thought it was all going to work out perfect. Now I'm going to marry that person. Now I'm going to get that job. Now I'm going to have all I need. Now all the paths are going to be clear. Some people even go as far as to say, well, when all the doors swing open, that must be God, right? It must be God. It seems that everything's just working out right. And then you went through the door, and everything seemed wonderful, and everything was beautiful. And then, bam, the door slammed shut. Boom, the person died. When the job was going, boom. The person leaves and everything starts falling apart, and you're going, God, I thought we had a deal. Come on. What happened? See, let me just burst the bubble. It ain't a straight line. It's never gonna be a straight line. It's gonna be a crazy, crooked Route 73 East line. It's gonna be all up and down, and just when you think you figured it out, it's gonna turn again, and then it's gonna go up, and then it's gonna go back down, and it's gonna be moments of beauty and moments of terror. See, Route 73 has a very specific place in my heart because in 2007, me and 10 of my closest friends were on our way home from an 11-day tour, ministering, seeing people get saved. We got out of our bus because we were having some mechanical issues, and as we were on Route 73 in the middle of nowhere, no cell phones, service in the middle of this pristine Adirondack wilderness, the engine on our bus catches on fire and we stand in awe as 45 foot flames encompass our 36 foot long bus and everything we have, our cell phones, our clothes, our instruments, our laptops, burn in a fire as we stand there. You know, now I'll go down Route 73 East and I get this little thing in my throat, you know? This little like... And it's amazing how one bad experience can distort your perspective of the road, right? One bad experience in a relationship can shut you down. You say, I just can't, I just can't trust anyone. One bad experience with a mom or a dad, and it messes up your view of authority for years. One bad experience with a job, and you give up on the dream God's put in your heart. It's amazing how one 
turn in the road can shut us down, and all of a sudden you're looking at that circumstantial evidence. This is for somebody today, and you're saying, God, I'm pretty sure you're against me. I'm pretty sure that you're bitter towards me. I'm pretty sure that the evidence is pointing in the direction that either you don't care, or you're not strong enough, or you're just mean. But one of those three things seems to be the case. It's sad. <laughs> Story's not over. Story's not over. What happens is uh, Boaz is able to work it out. And, uh, and so what happens is Boaz talks to the guy. He fulfills all the requirements of the law. And the other relative denies his rights to marry Ruth. And so that opens the door for now Boaz to become the kinsman redeemer. And they are married. It's very exciting. It's wonderful. And they have a child. And that leads us to the passage that we started with today. I'm going to give you one verse before where we start. It says this. And so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her. That's for another day. And the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the woman, the woman said, Said to Naomi, here's the verse, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. That's the name of their son. So they say, may the name of their son be renowned in Israel. Blessed be the Lord. That word blessed be in that passage literally means break down before God. Honor him. Throw yourself down at his feet and worship him. Why? Because he has not left you without a redeemer. Yet there were a thousand turns. Yet there were a thousand changes. Yet Things didn't work out the way you thought. But the evidence of the truth is that he has not left you. Oh, my family's so messed up. Things look so broken. I'm on that second turn on Route 73 East, and it's just crazy. And I don't know what's coming next, and I'm not sure how it's going to play out. But God is saying in the midst of it, yes, but he has not forsaken you. He has not left you. Now, it's true that this story seems out of place. I mentioned that. Seems out of place. I mean, where's the miracles? Where's the kings, right? Where's the parting of the Red Sea? Where's something big? God, why would you put a little reality TV show, follow a lady around, oh, she got married, oh, she had a kid, isn't that awesome? Why would that be in the Bible? What's the point? See, God is the great artist. And he paints his pictures with huge, prolific, kingdom-shaking, nation-building things. And then he also gets a detailed brush out, and he paints it in just the life of one simple, common, normal person. See, God is the great composer, and he specializes, this is for somebody today, in writing symphonies with common instruments. Just everyday, normal, cheap instruments. See, God gave a promise to every person who would run to him. It was the promise of grace. And he said he would cover each of us with his wings. If we would just show up at his feet at midnight and cry to him and say, cover me with your wings for you are a redeemer. See, Ruth, friends, is a picture. It's a story of a real person that also has a picture hidden in it. And you and I are Ruth. In the story, we see that Ruth represents the church. It represents you and me, normal people who feel like an outcast, who don't seem to fit in, and yet God in his mercy grafts you in because you run to the feet of Jesus. It's a windy road. It's full of chaos. It's full of uncertainty. There's no yet at the end. You see that God has been faithful and Boaz of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Boaz is a picture of God, the Son, coming in flesh. See, 
deep. God and the Son lets us glean from His overflow, just as Boaz let Ruth eat from the overflow of His harvest, right? And we see that she comes to Him humbly and throws herself at His feet. In the same way, if you would come to Christ humbly and throw yourself at His feet, He will not turn you away. He will not let you go. But first, check it out, Boaz said, I must first fulfill the law perfectly, and then, after all the law has been fulfilled, I will redeem you in the same way Christ says to you, I will live a perfect, blameless life, perfectly fulfill the covenant of works established in Adam, perfectly fulfill the covenant of the law established with Moses, perfectly fulfill every nuance of the law, and at 33 years old, die a blameless, perfect, spotless man in your place, redeeming you after the whole law has been fulfilled. In the same way, Naomi, the Jew, and Ruth, the Moabite, the pagan, or the Gentile, was redeemed with the one marriage, right, between Ruth and Boaz. In other words, Boaz was able to redeem both Naomi, the Jew, and Ruth, the Gentile, in the same way Christ's sacrifice on the cross fully redeems both Jew and Gentile, fully redeems all of humanity, every race, color, and creed. Every single person can come to the feet of Jesus and experience grace, forgiveness, and love. Why? Unmerited favor. And at no benefit to himself, Boaz redeemed Ruth so that the son could have the inheritance of the original father. And at no benefit to himself, Christ redeems you and I so that the promises given to Adam of fruitfulness can be restored to his church. So they have a kid, his name's Obed. A little weird, but Obed has a son, his name is Jesse. Jesse has a number of sons, the most well-known among them being David. And God plucks David out of obscurity and makes him the greatest king in Israel and gives him a promise that from his lineage will come a savior that will save the world. And what we see in this story, check this out, is that God, don't miss this because this is for you today, is that God all along, even though Ruth didn't see it, even though her life seemed like a windy Route 73 East, even though circumstantial evidence led her to believe that God had forgotten her, that she had been left, people died, there was famine, there was struggle, there were all these issues that could have led Ruth to become bitter towards God, and yet from our perspective today, we see that all along, God was leading this woman's life so that she could graft, be grafted into the lineage of the Son of God. Is, it, is there any higher honor on the planet than to say I'm the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus, the Son of God? And yet we see this great privilege being bestowed upon Ruth, and her story of insignificance, zoomed out, becomes a story of outrageous significance. We see in her the promise of grace. What is the promise of grace? I'd like to say it like this. God is taking you somewhere better than you expect and better than you deserve. God is taking you somewhere. See this today because this will change your whole world. God is taking you somewhere better than you expect 
and better than you deserve. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've thrown yourself down at his feet at midnight and cried out to Jesus, would you cover me in your wings? Would you overshadow me? God is taking you. Now, I know the road is crooked. I know there's going to be moments where it makes no sense. I know the things are going to fall apart that you thought were going to work out. That's all going to happen. But the promise of grace that's been true in Abraham's life and true in Joseph's life and true in Jacob's life and true in Ruth's life and true in your life is that God is taking you somewhere better than you expect and better than you deserve. That in the long run, the faithfulness of God will be revealed in your circumstance. And you will see that all along, though you didn't have all the answers, she never found out why her first husband died. Though you don't get all the solutions, she doesn't know why there was a famine in the earth. You won't always get all the answers, but you will see in your life that God is taking you somewhere better than you expect. And he's taking you somewhere better than you deserve if you will believe in grace. Illustration. We got back to a friend's house after our bus burned down. And, uh, you know, we were a little bummed. And um, I remember getting alone in a room. I'll never forget this moment. It's crystal clear in my mind. I fell down on my knees. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? I've been trying to leave this ministry, this traveling ministry. We just lost everything we have. Everything we had. We weren't wealthy. We didn't have uh, good insurance. That was a mistake. But um, here we were with nothing. God, what, what do you want us to God, I'm a little scared now. This wasn't part of the plan. I have an event in four days. I don't even have a guitar. What do you want me to do? And I remember hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, one of the clearest moments of my life. And this wasn't just an experience for this particular situation. It was an experience to understand the promise of grace. And I heard the voice of the Spirit say to me as I sat by myself at a friend's house just minutes after our bus had burned all the way down to tires and we just narrowly saved our lives. I heard God say to me, this is your promotion. And literally, kind of like Sarah laughed when, when God said you're going to have a son, I kind of looked up. That's funny, God, because that's not, that can't be me. That's the stupidest thing I ever, I mean, my promotion and, you know, I couldn't see God. I haven't seen him with my eyes, but I could see him in my spirit that day. And I feel like it was kind of like the day Jacob was wrestling with God. And he said to, you know, we could talk about it last week. And he said, God, you know, what's your name? And Jesus just kind of smiles back at him. He's like, why do you ask me my name? I know who I am, Jake. Why do you ask me my name? In the same way, in that moment, you know, as uh, as I heard God say that, I could just sense him smiling back at me like, yeah, I'm actually serious. This is and I felt compelled to get some paper, and we all walked out. Some of the people in this room were there. We all walked out, and we took punches and pieces of paper. We said, write down everything that was in your suitcase, everything that you lost, every piece of electronic equipment, every instrument, write it all down. And we took this big list, and we put it in the middle, thousands and thousands of dollars. We put our hands on it together, 11 us, and we said, God, you're the God of the miraculous. We believe this is our promotion. We don't even know what that means. Would you breathe on this? Would you bless this? Would you work in spite of this tragedy in Jesus' name? And within six weeks, word had spread all over the place. People began making donations without any appeal. Within six weeks, everything that we had lost had been replaced with something better and something even more functional for our ministry. And we saw. Now, it's true. You're not always going to see the reality in this life. Sometimes you'll see it in the next life. But we saw in that moment a little picture, a little kiss from God to say, hey, that's not just what I do. Do you notice that when Ruth fell down at Boaz's feet, she said, spread your wings over me because you could be my redeemer. Wrong. She said, spread your wings over me for you are a redeemer. It's who you are. It's in your blood. It's who you are. 
See, if you want to understand anything about the nature of God and the character of God, he made a covenant within himself called the covenant of redemption right after Adam fell. It was a plan that he had from the dawn of time, a covenant of redemption between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they would be the ones to, in fact, redeem humanity from our own sin, that it would be God's sacrifice that would get us back to himself, not our own efforts. See, he is a redeemer. Why are you standing on the outside? Why? You know, I think about it. I think, how different would your life be if you viewed God from this lens? You are taking me somewhere better than I deserve and better than I expect. How different would every, I would go as far as to say that I would suggest that every major issue in your life goes back to not understanding and applying that simple reality of God's goodness towards you. That every deep-rooted issue comes down to the question, do you believe he's good? Do you believe he's taking you somewhere better than you expect and better than you deserve? Because if you do, no circumstance can take you down. Better than you expect and better than you deserve. Ephesians chapter 3. I just want to urge you today, no matter where you're at in your story, no matter where you're at in your circumstances, run to him right now. Run to him right now. Run to him right now. Would you stand your feet with me as I read this verse? This is the Amplified Bible. I just like this translation. The Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. He says this, Now to him, who by or in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do, let this seep into your soul, super abundantly. I don't even know if that's an actual word. Super abundantly. It's like the, the translation, you know, it says in the, in the King James, exceedingly abundantly. It's like they, they, they didn't know how to translate the Greek, so like, well, let's just make them, let's just add, let's do super abundant. That sounds good. Super abundantly, far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So be it. What's the circumstance in your life that you need to lift up to God right now? I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I do know. That if you would have the courage to look at that circumstance and say, I bless the Lord for He has not left me this day you would have the courage to declare the promise of God. Right, you got some humble audacity. And you can manifest the blessing in your life. Is the road going to be straight? No. Is there going to be things you don't understand? Yes. You don't get to be God. It's part of the deal. If you want to be God, you don't get to follow. But if you would be humble enough to admit that you're not, If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.